If you've got a Bible, would you grab it? We'll be in Acts chapter 2 this morning. Uh, today we're going to be wrapping up this three-part series that we've called uh, Looking Back and Looking Forward. Um, and if you're just joining us, kind of what we've been doing here is uh, two weeks ago we looked back uh, and really uh, looked back over the 65-year history of this church. And um, what we saw is that we have a, a God-sized story uh, here at Fair Oaks. Um, the, the way we said it is uh, things have happened here that the only way you could possibly explain it is, as the Contra Costa Times wrote in 1980, uh, the bottom line is God's. Um, and I, I think in remembering that story, we got this tangible reminder that Jesus didn't stop building his church in the first century or in the 15th century, that Jesus is still alive, still on the move, still building his church, uh, and that didn't stop with the invention of the internet either. Um, I made this point last week that Jesus didn't see um, Jeff Bezos and go, okay, I think I've got a better, more efficient way to get this good news out. I mean, I love Amazon, uh, I'm, so this isn't the sermon to get off Amazon. This is just saying that Amazon has a role to play in the world, and the church has a role to play, and the church is still Jesus' plan A uh, for bringing the good news of the gospel uh, to a world that is desperately in need. And so um, based on that, what we said last week is uh, we began to look ahead and consider what it would look like to join this God-sized story in our day. And what we said is that God has called us to be the life givers uh, in this valley, that we're called to be a people so full of the life and the love of Jesus that um, wherever we go, it's like when Jesus walked the earth, that darkness gets pressed back, that the light and the life of God's kingdom comes to the places that are currently marked by death in our valley. Um, from the places of injustice and evil that are currently being perpetrated here uh, to families that are broken and hurting and in need of healing um, to the epidemic of uh, loneliness and, and boredom um, that we might think of as more garden variety everyday problems um, to even um, people in this valley that would be Dodgers fans because apparently they weren't loved as children. Uh, <laughs> Right? Like, what, we, what we've said is Jesus came to redeem all of it, all of the cosmos, all of life matters to Jesus. And I'm just kidding. If you're a Dodgers fan, you're welcome here. Jesus reconciles even the most difficult of enemies. That's how great of a Savior we have. So uh, welcome to those of you that didn't laugh at that one. Um, so now what we're going to do today, uh, that's the last couple of weeks. What we're going to do today now is we're going to move from um, kind of uh, that vision down to practical application. Uh, we're going to talk about what is it practical? look like to bring the life of Jesus to this valley? How do we do that together? And my hope, my prayer for you has been that today would be a really um, practical message that you would leave here um, with a sense of, here's what God's calling me to do. And so as we get in, I would just encourage you to have this one question in mind throughout the message today. Um, what's my one next step? Um, I'd encourage you to have that question in your mind. Ask the Holy Spirit, what is my one next step? What are you calling me to do in light of this? Because what we've seen is that we have a role to play in bringing the life of Jesus to this valley. And today, the rubber's going to meet the road. We're going to get down into life and talk about what it's going to look like. And that brings us to Acts chapter 2. Uh, are you ready? 
All right, we'll pick it up in verse 42. Uh, Peter's just preached an incredible sermon. 3,000 people were added to the church in a single day. And here's what we read in verse 42. Maybe not unlike us the past couple of weeks. They've just seen some incredible things. 3,000 people, revival, just like we've seen in our history. They're psyched up. And how do they respond? Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Um, The book of Acts, it's one of those places in Scripture, I don't know about you, I can look at that and go, man, if I were alive back then. You know, like there are certain books of the Bible you wouldn't want to be there for. Um, Like there's a reason they call Jeremiah the weeping prophet. Like I'm not signing up for that ministry assignment. Um, But I think for a lot of us, right, you can look at passages like this and be like, oh man, what a perfect community. Now, um, you have to ignore some things that come next to come to that conclusion. Uh, The church just like then, or just like now back then had issues. Um, But it is, I I do think when you look at a statement like this, it's really hard not to be romantic about this, uh, this early church, this beautiful community that we see in those verses there, where there's such a love for God uh, that gets extended to one another. There's just not a need among them that the whole city around is like, my goodness, we don't know about their Jesus, but wow, we like these Jesus followers over here. And so um, what I want to do today is just try to dissect this statement because um, the point I want to make as we get in is this kind of romantic, beautiful picture of church is the same kind of church that you and I can experience because it's the same Jesus, the same Holy Spirit um, that is at work in the church. And that as you and I give ourselves to the things that we see these first Christians gave themselves to, uh, we can have every expectation to see that Jesus would form that type of community among us. And so um, we're going to dissect it. And as we get in, I want you to have that expectation that this isn't planet Mars, that this isn't the old covenant, that this is the era of salvation that we live in. And so as we devote ourselves to these things, I think we should expect Jesus to show up and do these things among us. Now, um, I want you to notice that it says devoted. It doesn't say that if, um, if it was convenient, they would do these things. It doesn't say that if the weather was nice, it doesn't say if it didn't cost them a lot, it says that they were devoted to these things. And I point that out because I think a lot of times um, when we approach the church, we can approach the church much like I approach working out. Um, Some of you are like, but you look like you work out so much. Thank you. No, um, uh, seriously, uh, I approach working out like I go, it is good for my life to work out. I place a value on it. I think it's a good, right, and beautiful thing. Um, I want to do it. Uh, But frankly, I do it when it's convenient. I do it when I don't have too much going on, when there's not too many meetings pressing in on the day around here. I do it when the weather's just right. Um, I do it when I feel like it. And if I'm not totally feeling up to it that day, I ain't going. All right, so I'm not devoted to working out. I like it. I see it as good. 
I'm casually committed to it. Um, that's not what this text is describing. I think a lot of times we can approach church that way. Like, oh yeah, that's really, really great. I, I like scripture, God's people, prayer. I'll do it if it's convenient, if the game's not on, you know, I'll... I'll do it if they don't go too long, but um, this is describing devotion. I'm not devoted to working out. You know who is devoted to working out in my family? Karen, right? So I'll go if it's convenient. Karen builds her life around this, where she goes to bed at like 8.30, 9 p.m. so she can wake up at 5 a.m. and go before the kids wake up. That's devotion. That's orienting her life around a priority that she is habitually committed to, and that's far more what's in view in the text here. So don't be like me. Be like Karen is the point here right now. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that we're not talking about a casual commitment because here's the thing, casual commitment when it comes to church will get you about as far as casual commitment to the gym will. It'll get you just about as far that you get out what you put in. And what we see in this is when the first Christians see the reality of Jesus on display, their response is not, okay, I've got a pretty full schedule, but maybe I could pile that on top if it's convenient. Their response is they devote themselves uh, to these sayings. And Jesus shows up in a pretty profound way in that uh, devotion. And so, look, I know there's some of you this morning that you're like here checking out Jesus and you're like, oh my goodness, that's a big sell. Uh, Karen will tell you when we first started dating, like she thought I was asking her to like basically marry me. Like this is really intense. Um, so uh, if you're just checking out Jesus, I'm, I'm not talking about you. This text isn't talking about you. This text is talking about baptized believers in Jesus Christ. If you're here checking out Jesus, we're so happy that you're here. Uh, this is a place uh, that we want you to feel just safe and able to come to explore or ask whatever questions you have. We're not asking you to be devoted. We're asking you to explore uh, some of the most important questions in the universe, and we're here to help you explore that. We're pumped that you're here. Um, so please don't feel the pressure to be devoted to something before you believe something. In fact, I think it'd be kind of weird for you if you're like, I'm not sure if I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to be devoted to prayer. Okay. Um, I mean, awesome if you are, but usually these things go step by step. So let's start with Jesus and then we'll get to the church. But for the rest of us, for those of you who believe in Jesus, have trusted in his name and found life in his name, um, if we want to bring the life of Jesus to Diablo Valley, we, we need to commit ourselves to some things. Are you with me? Okay. Awesome. We're losing some of that anniversary momentum, but that's okay because someone over there is bringing it back. That's great. Um, and I, I know, I know Baptist Church, I'm trying to get used to it. Some of you might be riding furiously, and that's like a great amen over there. I got to start looking for the, the hand motions. All right. So they devoted themselves to four things. We're just going to walk through them. Number one, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is what? I, I hear the word over here. Uh, yeah, you guys are tracking with what's going on in the narrative. For this side of the room that was a little quieter, um, we got the Dodgers fans over here. I, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, yeah, if you look at the preceding verses or if you look at all the chapters that follow, what the apostles are teaching, the apostles are the um, disciples that follow Jesus around for three years, plus Saul, who's going to try to kill him, but then he gets saved and added. Pretty crazy story. Um, what the apostles are teaching is essentially the story of Jesus is the the answer to the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. 
So in other words, they would get up and preach from the Bible and say, this is what God said he was going to do. This is, wouldn't that be awesome if that happened? Oh, wait, check it out. This guy, Jesus, he's not just a guy. He's God in human flesh. You killed him, though. That's kind of a bummer, but don't worry. He rose from the dead, and he's going to give you life in his name. This is how the sermon in Acts 2 went. So the apostles were teaching from the word of God. Here's what God said he's going to do. Here's how Jesus is the answer. Here's how to have life in his name. And they would often go around saying what Jesus would say in his teaching. Repent, which means rethink your life in light of this good news. This good news about Jesus, it changes everything. It reorients everything. Now, eventually... The Holy Spirit would inspire these men to write these things down. And so that's how we get our New Testament. And so um, that's the apostles' teaching. Um, so in other words, we could say they devoted themselves to what we now have in the pages of Scripture. They devoted themselves to this Jesus-centered Bible teaching that uh, understood the whole Word of God as one story about Jesus that changes everything about our lives. They devoted themselves to uh, Scripture. And if we want to reach this valley with the life of Jesus, um, we need to do the same. We need to be a church that is uh, devoted to the word of God. Because I said this last week, you can't lead people where you're not going. You can't bring a life that you're not currently enjoying. You have to receive life from Jesus before you can spread his life to the world around you. And this isn't like a one time I receive life and then for the next 50, 60, 70, how many, ever many years God gives you, I spread that life. This is that every day I need to receive life more than I need to receive bread is how Jesus will say it. The word of God is even more fundamental to your flourishing and so like the first Christians, we want to be a church um, that is devoted to opening our Bibles and learning about who Jesus is and what he has done for us and how he wants to lead us into life. Um, I'll also say this. Um, I think it's important that we be devoted to the scriptures because as we seek to spread the life of Jesus to this valley, um, the question is going to become, well, what is life? Um, or is, I believe it is Herod says to Jesus when he's on trial, he says, what is truth? Like, how do we know? And that's a good question that you should be asking. How do we know what life is? Because there, I don't know if you've noticed this, there are competing visions of flourishing in our world today. I mean, let's just go with the one we've been talking about already. Some of you would see being a Giants fan as the path to life. Others of you would see being a Dodgers fan as the path to life. Now, some of you are going to think the other is a heretic and woefully uninformed. And, and, and I say that because it's easy to laugh at that, but how, how many different competing visions for human flourishing do we see in our world today on much more important matters to your life and the life of your family and your friends and the people that you care deeply about? Like, I'll, I'll tell it to you this. My five-year-old thinks it would be life-giving if I gave her lollipops and bubblegum for every single meal in the day. Um, does that mean that if I want to bring life to her, I have to operate on those terms? Like, would that be life-giving? Some of you are on her payroll right now. No, that wouldn't be life-giving. Her teeth would rot out of her face. She'd have a very sad life. She'd have no friends. She'd be malnourished. She wouldn't grow. She'd be shorter than all of her sisters. She'd have to live at home forever, which I wouldn't mind, but she's going to not like that someday. Right? Like, her understanding of what is flourishing needs to be informed by a fuller, truer perspective of what is life. And that's what the Word of God does for us. Because uh, you can laugh, and, and don't laugh at my daughter, by the way. 
I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can laugh at that, um, but you and I, we're not so different. The way Proverbs 14, 12 says it is there's a way that seems right to us that you and I will think to lead to life that actually leads to death. And so what we need is we need to open up the word of God uh, and to hear from God about, okay, what is truly the path to life? I want to bring life. I'm hearing all these competing visions. What's actually going to bring life? What does God have to say about this? Um, that's why, by the way, I always start uh, by saying, if you have a Bible, would you grab it? I always start there because, um, frankly, you shouldn't care what I have to say. You shouldn't care. Wow, someone was, uh, yes. Uh, you shouldn't care like what I think leads to flourishing and life because I'm 33. Most of you are far older and more experienced than me at these things. Um, my thoughts about life matter very little. God's thoughts about life matter very much. Um, and the way that I try to often say it is this is not an old book. This is a timeless book that God has given to us a reliable witness of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he has taught about leading us into life. So I don't care if you're a hundred years old, your wisdom fails in comparison to God's. And so that's why I always start, grab your Bible, because you shouldn't care um, what I have to say. And, and I also want to add this. If we're going to be a church that's devoted to the word of God, this can't be the only time in your week that you open this book. Um, if we're really, really devoted to this saying, it doesn't mean once a week we open this up and, and check, uh, is that really in the text there? Which I hope you are doing that. Um, but to be devoted to this, this should be a habitual part of our lives. And so my question to you is, how are you doing at that? Um, I said I wanted to make today practical. I want, I want to think about our lives. Like, is the word of Christ dwelling in you richly, like Colossians 3 talks about? Where when someone asks your opinion to speak into their life, what flows out of you is not wisdom from below, like James describes, that leads to death, but it's wisdom from above. It's God's wisdom about life. What comes out of you when someone pokes you, when there's a problem? What comes out of you when you watch the news and have all this angst and go, man, what would be the good thing to do here? Is it what the news anchor is saying? Is it what your friends on Facebook are saying? Or is it what the Word of God is saying? Because if not, um, my plea for you would be not to do more, to be a better Christian. Like, haven't we heard enough of that? Um, my plea with you is not to devote yourself to these things because God will love you. If you read the narrative in Acts, it's God loves you. And so in response to those things, we devote ourselves to some things. Our devotion doesn't drive his love. It's a response to his love. So I'm not saying read your Bible so that God will love you more. Good grief have we heard enough of those sermons. What I'm saying is, if you go, I don't know that I could call myself devoted to Scripture right now. What I would say to you is I believe that he has more life for you than you're currently walking in. I believe there's more life and love and vitality that is available to you. And, and look, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Like, the biggest game changer in my walk with God has been prioritizing time with God in Scripture to start my day. And I have ebbed and flowed from that. But I will tell you this, and anyone that knows me well can tell you this. When I am prioritizing this time, when I'm devoted to Scripture, I am a more life-giving person to be around. Uh, and when I'm not devoted to it, it shows. 
it shows. And so my, my question to you, um, it, my invitation to you is, I think there's maybe more life available to us than we would ever imagine in an old book, because it's far more than an old book. These are the words of life that tell us about the Savior who has brought us life. And so um, I'm not saying to read this so God will love you more. I'm saying if you see how much he loves you, if you want to know more of his love, let's be devoted to this because we won't have a single thing to say to the, word out the, the world out there until we have the word in us here. And so we want to be a church. My hope for us as a church is that we could truly say we are devoted to scripture. All right, number two, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Okay, that was kind of heavy, so I want to break the tension here. Why don't you look at the person next to you and say, I need you. I need you. Someone over here knows that. This is awesome. Uh, the reason I ask you to do that is because that's what we just read in the text here. They develop themselves to the fellowship. That's what this is saying. It's saying, I need you. The word translated fellowship is the word koinonia. Um, it's this word that describes a shared participation in something. It's a, a shared dependence. And um, I think we hear that in our very individualistic culture, and we think like, man, how weak those guys were that they needed other people. Like, I don't know how that rolled off your lips right now going, I need you. Like, some of you have your fingers crossed behind your back. Just kidding, crushing it, don't need you, but I, I like you anyway. Uh, in our culture, needing someone, it's a weakness. Like, oh, look at those needy people over there. Um, but according to the scriptures, it's an asset. See, what the Bible tells us, and, and we're going to get into this in a few weeks. We're starting Genesis next week. I'm so pumped. Um, I think some of you are really nervous. I think it's going to be a really surprising series because it's addressing so many of the questions that our world is asking. But stop it. Stop. You're getting me off. Uh, <laughs> what the Bible says is uh, that we've been made in the image of a God who exists in a community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like the reality itself in the innermost parts, God himself exists in a perfect relationship of love. This is why the scriptures say God is love, not he is loving, he is love. And so what that means for you and I is that means that you and I are made for a relationship. What that means is you and I can't be fully human unless we are living in a loving relationship with other people, because this is how we have been designed. And I'll, I'll tell you this, um, I was reminded of this this past week. Uh, I got together with a group of pastors uh, from around the country that I'm uh, meeting with and um, just getting to know these guys and um, kind of share what's going on in our lives. And uh, this was our first time getting together. So we share our stories. We begin to open up our lives a little bit, get to know one another. As all of this was happening, um, I found myself feeling unburdened. Um, I found myself feeling uh, seen. Um, I found myself uh, feeling uh, loved for the real me. Um, I found myself being helped and given input that I did not have, though I've given much time to thinking about some things. Um, and, and I'll tell you this, it was just fun. Like as we got to know one another and made this time and space to get together and share our lives and have koinonia, um, I'll tell you this, I left that trip feeling more alive than when I left. Um, this is what the idea of koinonia is meant to do. 
Um, Because we are made for relationship. We're made to have those kinds of relationships where you find yourself saying things out loud. You're like, wow, I didn't even know that I felt that. But this is just such a safe place where I can express myself that it brings something out of me that doesn't come out of me when I'm on my own. We are made for that type of community. And hear me, that is what the church is made to be. Um, Did you notice that verse 46 Uh, says that day by day, they express this devotion, that day by day, they're meeting with one another, that yes, they went to the temple on Sundays for worship, um, but then day by day, meeting in their homes, sharing meals together, they had glad hearts, they rejoiced in Jesus. The point is this, that yes, though the early church met once a week for worship, that was not their full understanding of church, that for them, church wasn't a service or a building, it certainly wasn't a building, For the early church, church was a a community of people that you shared your life with. And yes, that happens when we gather for worship here, but that also happens as we scatter across this valley and live life together. That church is meant to be a network of relationships that on uh, Monday morning when you have that meeting, that you have someone that you can call, that on Tuesday night you can get together with and open up your home and have meals together and be supported and have the types of relationships that you were made for. This is what the church is made to be. And so I again want to ask you, how are you doing with that? Um, I know for me this past week, I was like, wow, that was so refreshing. I probably need to prioritize this more in my life. Um, so, so I just throw this out there if you're, if you're like, oh man, now I'm like 0 for 2. Like, you're not alone in this place. Like, this is a time to consider our lives and to really say, okay, God, what are you saying to me? What, what, what do I need to do in response to your love? How do I have more of your life? And so I, I want to ask you, with no condemnation. This doesn't determine God's love for you, but I do want to ask you because it determines your experience of it. How are you doing with devoting yourself to fellowship with other believers in this church family? Um, If I could ask it this way, who here knows the real you? Who here um, knows the real you and loves you in spite of all your crazy? Uh, Who here uh, can speak into your life and you will actually listen to them? Um, These are the kinds of things that God has designed us for, and this is what the early church devoted themselves to be. And if your answer is, I I don't know if I have that person here. I mean, I maybe have that person across the country. That's great. God bless them. I'm so glad you have that. Um, But we're meant to have that at the local level where we actually live our lives as well. And so if your answer is, I'm not sure, my invitation to you would be to see the church for what it is more than a service, but a community to live life with, to share in life together, to support one another, love one another, and do life together with. Because um, here's the beautiful thing about that. As we do that, it not only brings us more life, um, but as we share in these type of meaningful relationships together, what begins to happen is I think the world around us will take notice because I don't know if you've noticed this, we live in a very lonely time, like where loneliness is truly an epidemic. I think especially in this area where a lot of people work from home, I was just in Minnesota, like it's not this way around the country. Um, We are more isolated than ever. It probably takes more intentionality than ever, but as we find life, as we open our lives to one another, I'm telling you, 
it begins to shine a light to the world around us that's longing for this type of intimacy and care and relationship. Because here's what you got to hear. Fellowship is not a Christian thing. Fellowship is a human thing. And Jesus died and rose again to make it possible for us in the church family. And so I want to ask you to consider that. Um, As a church, we want to be devoted to fellowship, to koinonia, to deep and meaningful and real relationships where we can open the real us, not the fake us, because some of you, you're like, oh, lots of people here know my name, but they don't know what's going on in your life. We want to be devoted to opening our lives to one another. And here's the thing, if we're going to be devoted to that, it takes some time, right? Like, you can't do this on Sundays, You might be the most extroverted person in this room. I don't care. There's no way you can share your life with someone in 75 minutes on Sunday. Um, And so, uh, so, you know, today we're going to be launching out a new ministry called Gospel Communities that's really designed um, to help you find these kinds of relationships here, to nurture these kinds of relationships here, to grow in these types of relationships here. But um, you got me ahead on my notes again. I'll talk about Gospel Communities in a minute. I want to I get through all four of these because Gospel Communities are actually pointed at all four, and I've just totally buried my lead there. But number three, um, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, I'll tell you this on the front end. My opinion on this is a minority opinion, so it probably means I'm wrong. But open your Bible, hear me out, check this, search the scriptures for yourself. The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. Um, Some people look at the breaking of bread and they conclude, ah, this is communion. This is when we um, remember the life, death, and res, or really the death and resurrection of Jesus for us, but also his life. And I I get why people would say that, because if you read the rest of your New Testament, it's very clear that the early church did value communion, that this is a big part of what they would do. The problem with saying that that's what the breaking of bread means here uh, is breaking of bread was just a really common Jewish way talking about sharing a meal together. Um, It's like grab a bite to eat to a Jewish person in the first century. And um, that's why in verse 46, when they use this exact same phrase again, breaking bread in their homes, what is it? How does it define it? They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. That's not, that's definitely not talking about communion. That's talking about them sharing meals together. And so I think it's, um, it's a little bit interesting that we would define this word one way in verse 42 and then a totally different way in four verses later. Um, so, so that's the first way, reason I'm a little suspicious of the communion view. Um, the other reason is I think you have to account for verse 47 somehow. Um, in verse 47, we read that, um, you know, they're praising God. And listen to this. They have favor with all the people. You know who all the people includes? All the people. That was great. Yeah, like the non-Christians in the city, the people that don't belong to the church. And like, I'm just telling you, like, however you interpret this verse, you've got to understand that. You've got to account for that somehow. If they are devoting themselves to scripture and uh, Christian fellowship, and uh, if you are to interpret this as communion, and then the next one, spoiler alert, it's prayer, that's essentially a very inward church. How in the world do they get favor with outsiders if they're just in a holy huddle the whole time? And so I think a better way to understand this um, is to understand the breaking of bread in the more common use of the term. It's talking about grabbing a bite to eat. 
And this, if you look at the life of Jesus, who they are worshiping is God in the flesh, the risen Lord of the universe, this was Jesus's common ministry practice, um, that he would have long meals with people, that he would intentionally eat with people outside of the community. And isn't this the big gripe of the religious leaders with Jesus? That this man eats with sinners and tax collectors. Like, this is what Jesus was known for, eating with outsiders. Put that in uh, today's terminology, eating with non-Christians. This is what marked the life of Jesus, that he invited them into his life, that he would share long meals with them, get to know their life, and that he would begin to change their life with his love as he invited them into his life through long meals together. And so I'm going to make the case that the breaking of bread is referring to the early church following the example of their risen Lord and living their lives with an intentionality to spread this good news to those that didn't already know it, to uh, having long meals with non-Christians, to have non-Christians in their life that they love, they care for, that they are um, praying for, that they are longing to see the life and love of Jesus wash over their life to take this person that they already care about and bring them into a fuller existence. And, and so look, however you in, interpret that, I, I tell you that because there is some debate on this verse. However you interpret it, um, whether it's from verse 42 or the rest of the book of Acts, I think it's clear that the early church devoted themselves to living on mission, to seeing their life is a ministry that just like Jesus, it wasn't just sharing meals together. This is where it started, but it was a whole lifestyle of wherever they would go, they want to have an eye to bringing in outsiders there. They want to have an eye to having non-Christians in their life that they know, that they're praying for, that they're serving, that they're loving like Jesus so that they can love his life into their life. And my question is, how are you doing with that? Because I think it's really, really easy to, when we um, read the Great Commission, go and make disciples, or what we saw last week, as the Father has sent me, so I've sent you. It's really easy to think of that as the job of professional ministry folks and missionaries overseas. But what we see in the New Testament, um, if you go back to Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to them, you will be my witnesses. In other words, every Christian is a witness to the life of Jesus. The way we said it last week from John chapter 20 is that we have been sent by Jesus to bring his life and love into this community. That is uh, true of every single person who would call upon Jesus is Lord. And so it's not just people overseas who are missionaries. It's you, it's me, it's anyone who's trusted in Jesus, that our life is a mission field. And my question to you is, have you been seeing it that way? That you've been sent by Jesus into your workplaces, into your schools, into your neighborhoods to make his life and his love known in that particular place. And some of you might be like, not my workplace. You don't know my workplace. If that's your workplace, then it's doubly true of you. That wherever there is death and brokenness, that we are sent to bring the life and the love of Jesus. And so the, the first Christians understood this. They had so much life in them that they didn't want to keep it in, that they lived with an eye to get it out. And my question to you is, how are you doing with that? Um, one way I would ask you is this. Um, if Jesus could grow our church overnight to where we filled the sanctuary again, but we had no baptisms— would you be excited about that? I love that. I love that. 
And look, if, if you're coming here, if you're already a Christian, like that's not us saying, get out, we only care about non-Christians. You're totally welcome here. I know people move into the area and just life happens. But what I'm saying is, if we define our wins simply by, are we having a good time with other Christians? I think we've missed the reason that Jesus has left us here and not just taken us home to glory already. We've got to have an eye to getting this good news out. We've got to live on mission. We've got to be willing to break bread with people that catch us are not like us. Because if you've been a Christian for 20, 30 years, you might think very different than the average person in this valley. But guess what? Jesus thought very differently from the sinners and tax collectors he ate meals with, and it did not stop him. And in fact, I think it drove his love. So we need to be a church um, if we want to get this good news out that lives with an outward intentionality that is looking to bring the life and love of Jesus into the non-Christians in our life. And if we don't have them, then we go looking for them because this is what we have been placed here for. Okay, number four. They devoted themselves to prayer uh, because... Uh, hopefully by this point in the sermon, you can track with me on this one. Uh, because they knew they couldn't do this on their own. They knew that they couldn't get this uh, good news out on their own. If you read the book of Acts, the religious establishment hates them. The uh, governing authorities hates them, imprisons them, will kill them. And, and, and so all these things are going against them. And I think that's what drives them to prayer because they're like, good grief, we've got all these forces coming at us. How are we to think about serving and loving our community? How are we to have time to devote ourselves to the truth of scripture when they're coming for our heads? And so that drives them to prayer. It doesn't drive them to throw their hands up and go, this is impossible. It drives them to in prayer, opening their hands and saying, God, I can't do this. I believe you can do the impossible. Can you do this? That's what prayer is. And you'll see this all throughout the book of Acts. They'll get thrown in prison and they'll pray. Um, and then they'll get beat and they'll pray. And they don't pray like God stopped the persecution. They pray, give us boldness to stand up for the truth of life in the face of this person. It's amazing. If you could just do a whole study on Acts on prayer. Um, the point I want to make right now is this. It was the instinct of the early church to pray. And, and it's not because they were mighty prayer warriors. Um, I think some of us, um, maybe a lot of us, Maybe all of us. Like, I don't know how many of you feel like I'm just crushing it at prayer. I'm nailing it at prayer. Um, these guys certainly weren't at this point. They, now, I think they grew in their life, but this is just after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And if I can just let you in on a little secret. Um, I don't know anybody that feels like I'm crushing it at prayer. I have nothing more to learn or grow in here. Prayer is one of these in inherently human things where we come into the presence of God and realize our finiteness. And when you pray, you begin to realize, why don't I do this more? Oh my goodness. And then you begin to like con condemn yourself if I should do this more. The whole point is this. Um, my guess is there's not a person in this room that doesn't feel not good enough when it comes to prayer. And that's the whole reason we pray. We don't pray because we have it all worked out. We have all the right words and we come to God and say, I have a theologically perfect prayer that you just need to stamp and sign on the bottom. What prayer is, is in relationship, drawing near to God and saying, I can't do this, but I believe you can. 
I'm imperfect here. I'm not what I want to be here, but I believe that you can. I'm not as bold as I want to be. I don't care about these things as much as I want to, but I believe you can change my heart. You can do these things. And so the early church, based on a sense of their own insufficiency, was constantly drawing near to the Lord in prayer. Based on a sense of the intensity of the circumstances surrounding them, they were drawn near to the Lord in prayer. My question is, how are you doing with that? Is your response to the anxiety in your life or the craziness in your life anxiety or worry? There's not a verse that uh, has so consistently convicted me my entire life. And I mean conviction in like the sweet sense where the Holy Spirit's doing something, not like in the uh, demonic sense where it's saying, you're not good enough. But like really, like kind of grabbed a hold of me. There's not a verse more than, um, don't be anxious about anything. But with prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. Can you imagine if we just believed and obeyed that verse, how different we would be in this area? People would be like, what's wrong with you? Why are you not freaking out right now? Well, because with prayer and supplication, I mean, my request known to God. It's not that I'm not stressed out about what's going on out here, but I've talked to him about it. That's the invitation here. Again, it's not do this to be a good Christian. It's God loves you. He's for you. You can't change his love for you. He's already for you. And in response to that, doesn't it just make sense to pray? And so there's more I could say about prayer. What I'm going to do is just invite you to come back tonight. Um, We're really, I said today's the third in a three-part series, but tonight we're having a final all-church prayer meeting to really cap off this series and by God's grace launch into the next 65 years of ministry built on a foundation of prayer. And so I want to invite you to come back tonight at 6.30 and join us for that. It'd be so great if we could come together as a church and just ask God to do what we cannot do in the coming season, to have that be the final kind of cap we put on this series of looking back and looking forward. And and look, I know some of you are like, oh, I'm not the one you wanted a prayer meeting. You're exactly who I wanted a prayer meeting. Um, Because prayer meetings are not for people that have all their prayers figured out. It's for desperate people to come and make their requests known to God. And when people do that, God shows up in some powerful ways. So I'd encourage you to come back at 6.30. Um, we realized after the fact that that was maybe not the wisest time to schedule this because I know some of you don't drive. So express koinonia and ask for a ride. I'm, I'm serious. Um, you know, like, and, and, and I also know it might not be wise because there's a 49er game on. Um, but again, I mean, maybe this is where some devotion kicks in. Um, or a good DVR. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, But I invite you to come back tonight, because when the people of God pray, incredible things happen. And that's what we see at the end of this text. So they devote themselves to four things in response to the love of God and the salvation of these 3,000 souls. They devote themselves to four things. Now look at the end of the text. Let's see what Jesus does. So we talked about what the church has done. What does Jesus do? Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Um, Does that sound like a life-giving church to you? It does to me, yeah. Right? Like, they're walking around. They've got joy. They've got gladness of heart. I'm like, yes, please. 
There's a lot of sorrow in this world. I'll take some more joy, please. Yes, please. Um, And it's not only that they get joy and gladness of heart, but that they have favor with all the people, that the people in the city are like, these Christians are so weird, but we really love them. That there's just this sense of we're so happy they're here. They have, there's favor with all the people. That there's something beautiful happening there. That the city is taking notice. And then we get it. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That new people are meeting Jesus. That new people continually come into the community of the faith. And I mean, those verses, that, that's where I look at that. I'm like, sign me up. That is my hope for a summary statement that you can place over Fair Oaks Church over the next 65 years. Um, that is a statement. And remember our look back week, 838 people baptized. This has been true of us. I believe the Lord is doing this in pockets and places here right now. I don't think he's abandoned us. But my call in all of this is what if we all took our next step to really say, We don't want to be casual about this seed and glimpses and shadows. We want to give our lives to seeing Jesus do this here. What might happen if we each took one step to advance that mission here in this coming season? What might Jesus do with that? Um, I don't know. I have a pretty good imagination, but I think you just look at the text and it says, man, God saved a bunch of people just like he has in our past here. They devoted themselves to scripture, to fellowship, to living on mission, to prayer and expressing their dependence upon the Lord. And as they did that, Jesus added to their number day by day. They didn't do it. They didn't convince someone to become a Christian. They devoted themselves to these things and Jesus added to their number day by day. He gave them gladness of heart and he gave them favor among all the people in the community that would say, we don't yet understand the God you worship, but we sure appreciate the life you're living in this place. That is what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. That is what Jesus has done in the history of this church. And I believe that by the grace of Jesus, that's what he wants to do in us in our day. And so my question to you in light of these things is what's your one step? Because um, here's the paradox. While it does not depend on us, Jesus builds his church. Jesus can do this all on his own. In the greatness of God, he seems pleased to invite us into what he's doing. He seems to love us enough to invite us in and say, hey, I want you to play a part. I'm not going to take you home to glory yet. I want to work through your life in the world. And and so if I could say it this way, you and I, each and every one of us, the scripture says, uh, are like members of a body. We all have a role to play in what Jesus wants to do here. And so my question to you is, what's your role to play? Because if we're a body that um, doesn't have working eyes, we could get a lot of places, but we're going to run into a bunch of walls. That's what will happen if there's a lot of me. Is we'll like charge out of here with lots of energy and knock ourselves down a lot. Where are the eyeballs at? What's your next step? Where are the ears at? Where are the feet at? Don't get too literal about the body parts. What I'm trying to say is, what is your one next step? Because you have a role to play here. You have a role to play here. It's not an accident that you're a part of Fair Oaks Church. God has brought you here for a reason. And so what is the Holy Spirit highlighting to you is your role to play in all of this. Um, in just a minute, the band's going to come back up. We're going to give you some space to reflect on that. But before we do, I just want to lay this before you. I think a great next step that you could consider 
is to uh, grab that slip out of your bulletin and sign up for a gospel community today. Um, Gospel communities, as I jumped into earlier, into excitement, are a new ministry we're doing here. They are geographically based small groups that we have designed to point at all four of these things to um, have a group of people that we can have koinonia with, that love us, that know the real us, that are invested in our lives, that know our crazy and stick around anyway, that can help us discuss the truth of Scripture and press it more deeply into our life so that we can follow Jesus into life. And that, yes, each gospel community is going to have an intentional focus on how to get this good news out in their neighborhood and how to help each other live on mission when we go to the office or when we go to school or where we go to the grocery store during the week. Um, and all of this has to be done in prayer. So gospel communities are really kind of um, a ministry that have been designed to help you walk in these things. So if you want to get a four for one today, maybe your next step is to join a gospel community and know you're going to get support in all of these things. I don't know what it looks like for you. I want to leave that up to the Holy Spirit. What I want to encourage you to do for sure is to not just walk out of here and rush out of here without responding to what God has said because he has an adventure for you here. And so what's your next step? What does it look like? What is your part to play? And, and I ask that because if we all, I've seen about this, um, if we all consistently took one step after another, one step at a time, following Jesus into life, do you know what this valley can look like? I, I think it would look a lot like this. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking their breads in their home, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. In a day where people are angry and lashing out at one another, this was a community of glad and generous hearts. They're praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord Jesus added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's the kind of church I want to give my life to. Anybody else? All right, let's pray. Um, Father, I thank you that you've loved us so much that you've sent your only son to bring us life. Um, Jesus, I love that you're such a mighty savior that you can say to us, as the Father sent me, so I've sent you, knowing that we can't possibly mess up your mission, that you are so gracious and so good that you can work through imperfect people like us. Um, And so, Jesus, I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit right now to um, help us respond to this truth that you would show us what does it look like to follow you into life? How are you calling us to play a part in the coming season of this church? Um, Jesus, lead us, we ask right now. Um, We want to be devoted to these things. Help us where we are not. Um, Grow our desire for these things. Not to earn your love, but um, show us how much you've loved us that our hearts might overflow with devotion like this first church did. Um, So as we turn now to sing um, and to remember what you've done for us, would you just send your Holy Spirit and unleash your presence in this place, um, that there might be much joy in this sanctuary that flows out to this valley around us today and for the next 65 years. In your beautiful name I ask, amen.